Well, welcome, friends, to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM. I'm Margot McMillan, and as you all know by now, we are recording from our home offices, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have Rhett Hartman and Josh Stevens here tonight, but, uh, you know, we're hoping that we can beat this virus, and we'll be back at KOPN Studios before too long. So I uh, hope everybody is staying safe and staying smart, and, uh, and I know you are. Tonight we have an amazing program. We're going to be talking to Christine Lang, who is a worker at the Rodale Institute in Iowa. And if you think of Rodale as being a Pennsylvania not-for-profit, an organic research farm, you are correct, but they set up a satellite in Iowa because they wanted to find out if their East Coast techniques worked here in the Midwest. So we'll find out from Christine how they're doing. Uh, but first of all, let's just have a little more, little more music here. Let's go back to these guys. excited that this evening I can play a recording for you of an interview I did last week with Christine Lang of Rodale Institute. And we think of Rodale as being in Pennsylvania. It's the premier organic institute, the first and, uh, in my opinion, the top of the line. And they now have a satellite in Iowa. So I'm excited that they're in the Midwest, and uh, you'll hear from Christine about some of their activities. So let's get started. I, I started out by asking her, what is Rodale Institute? So Rodale Institute was founded in 1947 by J.I. Rodale, and he started in Pennsylvania, and he was a, a publisher and he started to take a great interest in health and started writing about and exploring issues of health, mm -hmm. which led him to realize that farming, the way we farm, may have connections to our health. So he started to design research on his homestead. He purchased a farm in Pennsylvania, and he started to, to ask questions about soil health and wanted to learn, learn more about the connections between human health and how we grow our food. And he is famous for the phrase, healthy soils equals healthy food equals healthy people. And again, that was founded in 1947. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, J.I. Rodale passed away quite suddenly, but his son Robert had been um, you know, brought up understanding the importance of organic agriculture and continuing to to explore research questions. So Robert Rodale led, led the organization, led Rodale Institute to purchase our 333-acre 
research farm, which is in Cutstown, Pennsylvania, where all of our research trials are now housed. And at any given time in Pennsylvania, there's approximately 20 research trials that are ongoing. Mm. Rodale Institute is most famous for their farming systems trial, mm -hmm. which is the longest-running trial comparing conventional and organic production, the longest-running side-by-side trial in North America. That was started in 1981, and that trial looks at grain production rotation, so it looks at the integration of corn, soybean, alfalfa, and small grain rotations. Mm -hmm. And some of the outcomes of that research after 40, almost 40 years of research is our work has shown that um, organic production systems can be competitive with conventional yields after the initial five years of transitioning from conventional to organic production. Mm. And what's been really interesting with that research is that they've shown that pro, um, yields can be up to 40% higher in times of drought, which as we think of climate change and areas that are going to be impacted with either significant rainfall events or significant drought events, the resilience to drought that has been shown by this farm systems trial is really important. And one of the things is all of the studies that Rodale Institute focuses on, we want to understand the economic implications and have a complete picture for farmers when they're weighing decisions or thinking about transitioning to an organic system. And typically, profits can be three to six times greater for farmers when they switch from a conventional to organic system. Hmm. Wow, that's very impressive. So could you explain what an organic system is and what a conventional system is, just what the differences are? So when we use the word organic, we're speaking to USDA certified organic production. Uh -huh. So this is a certification that is recognized by the United States Department of Agriculture. And this became, this certification went into effect. It was signed into law. Um, a standard, the National Organic Standards were um, the act that set the stage for organic. Uh -huh. It was signed in 1990, but it took just over 10 years for the standards to be written and for us to have this in place. But organic production is grounded in the idea of maintaining and improving the health of our soil systems. And there are no synthetic inputs that are allowed, with a very few exceptions. So these are systems that are relying on ecology, so integration of cover crops, long, longer crop rotations, so that we're working with nature to break up pest cycles and disease cycles, so that we don't need to, so that we don't need to use periods, synthetic chemicals, and the use of even organic-approved inputs is a last resort. So you want to mitigate issues and prevent issues through the use of cover crops and a crop rotation and putting the right plants in the right place and have, you know, any chemical inputs as that last resort. Mm -hmm. And so when I say the word conventional farming, I, I speak to, you know, typical farming that we see on our landscape that um, and, and also acknowledging that conventional farming is a spectrum as well from we have farmers who are using a lot of ecological practices and striving to be no-till conventional farmers and they're just using a little bit of glyphosate to terminate cover crops and make that no-till system work 
And so those farmers have potential to move into the realm of organic and especially a regenerative organic production system, which is focusing on continually improving the health of the soil. And we just need to remove that synthetic chemical piece and then continue to build on those soil health practices. At this point, I asked Christine Lang to define the word regenerative because it's a word we're hearing a lot and it's kind of become a buzzword. And here's what she said. So one of the interesting things that folks may not know is that the word regenerative, to the best of our knowledge, the first time it was said in like a public setting was actually by um, J.I.'s son, Robert Rodale. Hmm. And Robert was giving an interview and he was um, talking about how sustainability was being overused um, at that time. And this was tw over 20 years ago. Huh. Um, so he talked about the word regenerative. And when we think about a regenerative system, it's grounded in our soils. And instead of just maintaining or depleting our soils, what are we doing to make sure that that system is renewing and we're building soils, we're building soils and we're sustaining life so that we have a system that we're not just pouring inputs in and taking things out, but we have a system that can be um, self-sustaining and supportive. Mm -hmm. And Rodale Institute is helping lead the way for a regenerative organic certification and the basis of that certification is you need to be USDA certified organic, but then this builds on the standards in the three areas of soil health. So constant improvement of soil health is front and center for, for that certification. And then focusing on animal welfare and social justice. So those three pillars kind of sit on top of the organic certification. And there's going to be three levels bronze, silver, and gold, and that, um, that certification is going to be rolled out um, during this year, so it's just wrapping up its pilot phase. Oh, boy. Will you keep us in the loop on that, or I guess it'll be on your website? That's, that's really exciting, because one of the big problems I've had, we actually dropped our organic certification because of the use of confined animal feeding operations to, um, you know, to, for, uh, as an input, and... Uh, so you've actually solved that problem, which is something that I think a lot of us have been waiting for. That's, that's really exciting. Yes, and there is a website specific for um, regenerative organic certification. I just don't have the exact address right in front of me. But if you okay. look up regenerative organic certification, um, there's an entire website dedicated to it in the pilot project documents outlining um, the, the initial standards are on there as well. Oh, excellent. That's just wonderful. That's great news. So it's a really exciting time in farming from my perspective because we have this, people are really starting to take notice of, you know, maintaining and improving their soil health mm -hmm. and integrating cover crops on the landscape. And organic farmers do use tillage as a way to prepare a seed bed or, you know, combat weeds because they don't have the chemical tools to combat weeds. But organic farmers also realize, especially in row crop production, the importance of reducing that tillage and being very intentional. There's a strong movement in organic farming towards conservation tillage and reducing the amount of times that we're turning or disturbing the soil. And that's where cover crops um, by 
being, and when I say cover crops, I mean any anything that's covering the ground that's not, you know, the corn or the soybeans or the small grains or the sunflowers or whatever it is you're harvesting for, you know, to sell in market. The job of the cover crops is to outcompete weeds, keep that soil covered. It can aid in moisture retention, especially if it does terminate naturally or if it's been terminated by a roller crimper. And that serves as a tool to hold moisture in the soil while outcompeting weeds. And another thing that's really important about cover crops is, especially if you plant a cover crop in the fall after a crop like corn has been harvested, for example, that cover crop, some cover crops such as cereal rye can overwinter and they green up first thing in the spring. So when other soil would be sitting bare and nutrients might be leaching through the soil and getting into our waterways, those cover crops are there taking up those nutrients because they're already turning green and photosynthesizing and starting to pull those nutrients and water back out of the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to step back a minute because I mentioned the roller crimper. Right, yeah. And, and as, we, as we think about how we tackle tillage in our organic systems and work towards conservation tillage, which is the reduction of tillage, but also organic no-till production systems, it's important to note that the, the, this, this tool called the roller crimper was conceptualized and popularized by the Rodale Institute by our CEO, Jeff Moyer. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is it's a round tool that has chevron, chevron-shaped blades coming off of it. I, I encourage everyone to go online and look up the roller crimper. Mm-hmm. There's some really great videos out there. But this tool allows is, is mounted to the front or the back of a tractor, and it's used to terminate cereal rye that's six. It's typically about five to six feet tall, so it's taller than I am. And it crushes down all of that cover crop material and basically makes a mulch across your field mm-hmm. and that acts as a weed suppression tool that organic farmers then can plant their soybeans into so that there's no um there there's in theory when it works really well when you have lots of growth there's no need for um for for tillage for weed management so mm-hmm. just like you put six inches of straw mulch around your tomatoes in your home garden the use of cereal rye with a roller crimper allows farmers to essentially mulch their fields. Mm-hmm. And it also puts all of that biomass back into the soil as it breaks down, which adds organic matter and improves soil quality as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what you said was when it works when it works correctly, and I wonder, you know, our soil conditions are so uh, so unpredictable these days like right now we have had really i don't know how many inches of rain but we've had steady rains all through through march uh i don't know you know what april will bring but um i wonder what kind of soil condition is needed for the roller crimper to be effective because as as i have understood it the roller crimper is a great substitute for killing your field with glyphosate in order to mm-hmm. stop your cover crop from growing. That's exactly correct. And soil conditions, of course, like everything else, you need it to be dry enough to get out into the field so that you're not causing more harm than good. But soil conditions for a, a no-till organic system really start in the fall 
and the key, when I talk about the key to making um, cereal rye work as a, as a cover crop for roller crimping, and I should acknowledge that you can also use hairy vetch prior to corn, for example. Mm -hmm. um, both systems have worked really well in Pennsylvania, but the key is getting that cover crop planted and established early enough in the fall so that you have good biomass accumulation. And cereal rye, for example, goes through a process of tillering where if you can imagine you have your, your stock of your plant and then you have additional shoots coming off of that, so you get a, a bulkier, you know, almost like a bunch of each cereal rye plant, so you're getting better soil coverage. And every additional stem that grows, that's another opportunity to add to that mulch layer. Mm -hmm. What You bring up a really great point that here in the Midwest, we're seeing you know, increased rain events both in the fall and the spring and getting getting the crop out before December is really important if we're gonna get that cereal rye in the ground. Right. Um, here here in the Midwest we know that to plant cereal rye for roller crimping, our target date, we'd like to see that, you know, as early as possible, you know, mid September. Mm. Um, definitely no later than the middle of October if at all possible to get enough biomass to make roller crimping work. Okay. So then it becomes a matter of timing, and that might mean that we can't plant that, that cereal rye after our corn harvest, for example. So that's where in organic farming, we want to focus on longer crop rotations. So if we can you know, harvest our, our oat small grain earlier in the season, which then gives us time to establish our cereal rye cover crop, to make some of these systems work, it's about reframing how we think about in our entire crop rotation mm -hmm. and making sure that we prioritize our cover crop as a crop because it does play such an important role in um, especially breaking our weed cycles. And that's where, that's why we're excited to be in Iowa and be located in the Midwest so that we can continue to work with university and USDA partners and all collectively work together to identify, you know, different cover crop varieties or are there cover crops that flower sooner, for example, because the, the cereal rye and the vetch, they have to be flowering mm -hmm. because then they can be successfully killed with the roller crimper. So how do we shorten that time? Mm -hmm. um, so with cover crops, there's a lot of work that's left to be done in terms of perfecting the system for the Midwest. And that's why we're excited to be here in Iowa so that we can be, be part of that research and help move that, move that forward for farmers and add, add another tool to the toolbox. Excellent. Well, you're answering some of the questions that I've had um, for years about cover crops and uh, conventional farming. Um, you, you know, we have sort of skipped over the idea that you're in Iowa now, so we should say something about how did you guys decide to come to the Midwest? So there, there are a few things that happened that made it possible for the Rodale Institute Midwest Organic Center to, to land in Iowa and um, to, to take root. And what's really interesting is we're, um, I want to start by saying that we're in a partnership with Indian Creek Nature Center, which is the first and only private nonprofit nature center in the state of Iowa. They started in 1973, and they've always been on the forefront of environmental education, and they, they really focus on promoting and growing champions of nature. And they were one of the first 
first entities in the state of Iowa to look at solar power, and they just um, they've now they're now operating out of a living building, and that's one of only 20 in the world. So they're really on the leaders of sustainability. So they received a donation of farmland, 190 acres of farmland from George Etzel, and that donation took place in 2016. And that's when Indian Creek Nature Center started to think about how they could model regenerative agriculture for the state of Iowa and marry the idea of being a nature center and a farm and an educational outlet. So they, they provided the space that we work on. Kind of parallel to that, with Indian Creek receiving this, this generous donation of farmland, Rodale Institute was visioning out what's the next step um, you know, where, where do we need to be as an organization? Because Rodale Institute is incredibly well-known for their research, and they've always been leading the research for organic production systems. So what's next? A few things that came out of that discussion. One was the idea of having regional resource centers to move Rodale's work sphere of Pennsylvania and create, you know, have regionally relevant research, but also having people on the ground closer to the rest of the folks, in, you know, across the United States. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Rodale Institute was realizing that one of the ways they could fill a need was by providing on-the-ground technical support. So they also have developed a consulting program. And what's really interesting is both of those things are now playing a role here in Iowa. So to finish the story of how Rodale Institute came to Iowa, we have uh, our funding partner for the first five years of this entire endeavor is Frontier Co-op. And they're known both for their Simply Organic Spice line and their Oracacia Essential Oil line. And they, they became the piece that pulled both Indian Creek Nature Center and Rodale Institute kind of introduced them to one another just through the world of connections and realized Rodale Institute's looking to start a regional resource center, Indian Creek Nature Center has a farm, and Frontier Co-op has a mission to give back and help fund efforts like this. So the three pieces came together really nicely. And that's how Rodale Institute came to be housed at Edsel Sugar Grove Farm in partnership with Indian Creek Nature Center and supported by Frontier Co-op. Wow. so could you explain again what Frontier Co-op does? What, what kind of co-op is it? So they are a member-owned co-op that's been operating in Norway, Iowa, and they their their two flagship lines are Simply Organic Spices and then Oracacia Essential Oils. Ah. So they, yes, so um, if you shop at your local co-op, there's a good chance that you've bought their spices or their essential oils before because they distribute all across the United States. And their house right here in Iowa. And the group that we're listening to right now is the Ebony Hillbillies. This is a group that I heard when I was at a farmer's market in New York City. And uh, 
They certainly captured my heart, and I've been thinking a lot about New York City. I'm sure you have, too. Uh, the two guys are Norris Bennett and Enrique Prince, and it just reminds me of how small our planet is and, and how intimate the connections are between different groups of people. Here are these New York guys singing Appalachian tunes and... Uh, Tunes that we could hear right here in mid-Missouri. And this gives me an opportunity, too, to talk about our, our farmers markets, and especially the smaller farmers markets in our communities that are open right now. Got a note from Roy Hartley that the Orr Street Farmers and Artisans Market will open its 2020 season April 19th at historic Wabash Station. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the market is adapting to the situation. They will not have artists, crafters, or entertainment during the emergency, and their official hours of operation will be trimmed to from 9 a.m. until noon, with options of staying till 1 p.m. as in the past. Farmers markets are an essential resource providing for local food for our community, and uh, providing for an outlet for our farmers who are, of course, suffering with the closing of restaurants and other markets right now. This season, Orr Street Farmers Market will have fresh local vegetables, including greenhouse tomatoes and cucumbers, eggs, some preserved foods, and Soggy Bottoms Farm will be taking orders for goat's milk. In addition, Ozark Mountain Biscuit Truck will be not only providing their full menu, but will also have heat and serve family meals. That's the Orr Street Farmer's Market in the Wabash Station on beginning on Sunday the 19th. And you are listening to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM in Columbia, Missouri. You're, you're listening to an interview I taped last week with Christine Lang, who is working at Rodale Institute in Iowa. And I should mention that if anything that you're hearing this evening is interesting to you, there is going to be a webinar hosted by Rodale, by Christine and some of her co-workers on Tuesday, April 14th, that's next Tuesday, from 1 to 2 p.m. Central Time. You can register at, on the website rodaleinstitute.org and it's free. This thing I ask Christine is to move past the row crop paradigm that she's been talking about and into something into something that we at Farm and Fiddle consider equally or even more important and that is feeding people you know vegetables and meats and stuff that we eat I I want to dial that back because I haven't I guess I haven't done justice to the to all of the arms of our work, and and also it's important. I guess I should maybe I'll start by talking about our team, okay? Um, because that'll give you an idea of what we each bring to the table. So, on the ground, we have three team members, 
and again working across two two organizations. So we have our research director is Dr. Carl Rozier. He has a PhD in biochemistry and microbiology from the University of Montana. And he has spent much of his career looking at soil microecology and understanding the, the microbes that are in our soil system, which, um, again, all of Rodale Institute's work is really grounded in soil health. Mm-hmm. So um, Dr. Rozier brings the component of understanding soils in all types of systems, but a lot of his work is being developed to study and understand row crops. Um, My role as extension scientist, again, my background is in specialty crop production and sustainable agriculture, so I'll be charged with, um, I'm starting to develop some specialty crop research projects because while we acknowledge that the the bulk of our our research and outreach efforts right now are going to be focused on corn and soybean production systems as well as small grains and including forages because they are an important part of an organic rotation, our long-term goal is to also help support more food crop, specialty crop production across the state of Iowa. Mm. And, and to bring in our third, our third teammate is Scott Kepke. He's the farm manager for Edsel Sugar Grove Farms, so he's an employee of Indian Creek Nature Center, and he brings years of experience working in the local food system around um, around the, re- the eastern region of Iowa. So we're so grateful to have Scott at the table. And he is already, um, through his efforts, he's planted a seven-acre permaculture field, which includes over 500 fruit and nut trees and has all sorts of different vegetables in the, in the rows between the trees, so growing so you have multiple layers of, you know, trees and vegetable production. And then he's in charge of 70 laying hens, and many of those are going to follow vegetable crops. And, you know, as we think about the chicken tractors, mm-hmm. so there's going to be chicken tractors that can be pulled after a vegetable crop so that chickens can clean up the residue and, um, you know, they can, they can add their manure back to the soil, clean up the vegetable residue, and, and hopefully eat some, some of our vegetable pests along the way. Um, as we look out for other ways that livestock can play a role on the farm, there is 20 acres of pasture land, and we definitely have a strong interest in exploring all the benefits of integrating livestock back into a farming system. Mm-hmm. We, you know... But, but as with any startup, we're, we're phasing into that. So right now we're going to start with chickens, but we definitely have aspirations for both pork and cattle, maybe even looking at sheep and goats and, you know, alpacas. You know, mm-hmm. the, the sky's the limit as far as thinking about the livestock that could be on the farm as we, as we get into out beyond your, your number one. Uh-huh. So, so... Do the team members, uh, is, the, is the concept going to be that this one piece of property is going to uh, sustain all of these various activities and cooperate between, you know, the manure would come maybe from the animals and go into one of the fields? Is that, is that kind of how you see it, sort of uh, a model to how uh, an actual farm can work? Yes. We, we want to make sure that as we, as we scale up our efforts, both through research and demonstration, that we're demonstrating things that would actually occur on farms. So that's one of the strengths of our farm in Pennsylvania is there is enough 
manure close at hand through through some of the dairy cattle that graze on the pastures and through um, the the pork facility that's on site in Pennsylvania. They have a large manure composting operation, and that's something we hope to scale up into because we would like to, you know, demonstrate and showcase the importance of, you know, making and, you know, using compost to improve soil health as well. Mm-hmm. So is your model uh – is this something that a family could do? Is that is, are you thinking of it in terms of one family on a farm, or are you thinking of it as uh, cooperative, like three families on the farm do, doing these three different sort of projects? Or how, how do you see that? The reason I ask is that sometimes I see research projects that are great as long as there's you know five graduate students and a professor, and they can they can lots of labor, let's say, Um, but then when they translate to an actual farmstead, it's it's really overwhelming to just a a couple or even a couple with a couple of kids. So how do you think about that? That is a really interesting and important question. Um, I think for for both Dr. Rozier and myself, as we think about our research, we'll definitely be tracking the labor. Um, I'm looking at exploring a, a permanent no-till vegetable production model this fall, um, or something that I would I hope to begin this fall and carry over into several seasons. And I realize that the question of how much labor is this going to take is going to be the first thing that my specialty crop producers want to know. Mm-hmm. So I that's definitely something we're going to be be keeping track of. And I should add that you know. We're not necessarily saying that you have to do permaculture and you have to do, you know, corn and soybeans and you have to do uh-huh. and cattle, but we're hoping that these are models, you know, each individual thing that perhaps people can look at them for a family and, you know, maybe there's someone that's interested in coming into the farm and maybe they don't have a home in the corn or soybean system, but is there something with specialty crops that they could get a hold of and start, you know, start on half an acre and scale it into five acres down the road, and then that becomes their enterprise? Is there someone, you know, is there someone in the family who wants to start planting fruit and nut trees and work towards permaculture? Um, the, the question of, you know, that you raised with how, how do we um, – model this for, you know, you know, one family or several families is something that I'll admit I haven't given a lot of thought, mm. but I definitely do want to acknowledge the importance of, you know, keeping the next generation on the land if they want to be there or showcasing economic opportunities that, you know, cre- create opportunity for people to stay on the farms instead of leaving our rural communities. Mm. And I do want to point out that, and you probably know this as well, while we do have large-scale um, corn, soybean, small grain, organic farms, it's a lot more common to see those farms be 500 to 600 acres in size, and that can actually support, you know, a family unit, you know, mm-hmm. mom, dad, a couple of kids. So I think that's something, an opportunity that organic agriculture provides mm-hmm. as we look across the landscape of the Midwest is we could actually bring more people back onto the land. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are a, a whole bunch of other other 
factors at play as we think about what that looks like, but mm-hmm. that's one of the opportunities that excites me is organic agriculture provides an opportunity to to shrink the number of acres that need to be farmed to make a living. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that being said, there are definitely folks in the Midwest who are farming a thousand acres or more, and they're they're managing their weeds well in organic system, and they're they're making it work. Um, and we're really grateful for those people that are showing us how to do that, and we want to be able to show more people how to make those systems work. Um, you know, whether it's the the five acre vegetable farm or the five hundred acres of corn soybean or above and beyond that. Mm-hmm. Wow, you've put out a you've put out a great mission for yourselves. Um, so how do people learn more, and are, are you outreaching to folks who, you know, say they would like you to come and look at their place and make suggestions, or do you have workshops on your place? How, how do you get this information out? Well, um, and that, thank you for bringing that up, because I definitely want to highlight that in addition to specialty crop research, the other portion of my role as extension scientist is to serve as one of our organic crop consultants. So we have a team of three consultants, two of whom are in Pennsylvania, and I'm here in the Midwest. And and that is really my job, whether it's phone calls or email questions or in-person site visits is really one of the areas we're focusing on. Um, And whether it's a vegetable farm or livestock or corn and soybeans, my role as an organic crop consultant is to come onto your farm talk crop rotations, help you with cover crop decisions, and really for farmers who are wondering, how do I transition to organic production? What in the world is an organic systems plan, and how do I write one of those? That's really where um, I step in as a crop consultant and assist Mm. farmers through that process. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one of the ways we're putting ourselves on farms across the Midwest. And I'll make a plug that through a private foundation, I'm able to offer my on-farm consulting services for free through the through the calendar year of 2020, and we we hope to extend that. But for right now, um, I know it's a weird time to be thinking about farm visits. We've we've paused those in light of COVID-19, as uh, many yeah. organizations have. But I want to highlight that I'm still available by phone, email. Um, my my coworker has already done a virtual farm visit, so we're willing to be creative and use FaceTime and any way that we can still get on your farm while keeping you and your family safe, we're willing to do. So that's one of the ways that we're connecting with people. Um, we, we're, hoping, we're hoping that things work out so that we can have an open house on August 6th at both celebrating Etzel Sugar Grove Farm and the Midwest Organic Center. Um, the best way to stay tuned to to any activities, you know, pending in person or or future webinars, would be to go to RodaleInstitute.org mm-hmm. for any of our general activities and information. And then, if you're interested specifically in the Midwest Organic Center, it's just RodaleInstitute.org forward slash Midwest. Ah, okay, great. Now. Tell me, how have you been accepted? Because I, I think of Iowa and I think of, as you said, the 2,000-acre uh, industrial-type farms, huge pieces of equipment and um, lots of chemical 
use. How, how have people accepted you coming in with your ideas that, eh, no, we're not going to do it this way? How does that work for you? I feel like our reception in the Midwest has been really, really welcoming, and we're so grateful for organizations such as Practical Farmers of Iowa and the Iowa Organic Association and, and many more, too many to name, um, who have welcomed us and created spaces and events for our new, or you know, Rodale Institute has existed for a long time, but we're still new in Iowa. And so we're grateful for the spaces that have been created for, you know, our staff to get on the ground at conferences and field days and meetings. And I'm finding in conversations that there are a lot of people who are really curious about organic production. Maybe I'm going to try it on 100 acres. And we, those, those are folks that we love to talk to because we definitely advocate with trying anything new that where, where can we start and help you phase into this? Don't bet the whole 2,000-acre farm on in the first year, but let's talk about 100, 200 acres and what that looks like so that we can um, – Dr. Rozier talks about it as the runway into organic production. So how can we, how can we help you on that runway through our technical, technical services that I can provide on the ground with helping you navigate the organic standards, but how can our research um, also – provide different options for cover crop rotations and soil management that may work on your farm and, and be, be, that, be that push that helps you move into organic production. I've heard everything from praise the Lord, I'm so grateful Rodale Institute is here. Um, that really happened. That definitely, <laughs> that was a fun way to be received. We've heard, you know, some people who are skeptical and I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing and that's okay. I think we're excited to start a conversation and, you know, the neighbors are driving by the farm and they're, they're wondering what's going on. And that's where I really want to, I'm so grateful. Um, our teammate, Scott Kepke, he's, he's sitting down with the farmers in the area and having coffee and letting them ask us all sorts of questions about what in the world are you guys doing? And, well, maybe that'll work. We'll see how that looks. So I think that's one of the exciting things about our farm is, being able to generate buzz and start conversations and start to be this this hot spot for organic production and this catalyst for change. And again, recognizing that that doesn't happen in a vacuum, and we're so grateful for you know the organizations who have welcomed welcomed us into Iowa and, and the Midwest and and helped us connect with farmers and connect with each other. And I think it's a really exciting time to be in the Midwest. There's a lot of really good work being done, and there are a lot of really excellent organic farmers who have been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years in the state of Iowa, and I'm really grateful for the wisdom and um, expertise that they've been able to share with me as well. And you're listening to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM out of Columbia, Missouri. And this is an interview with Christine Lang from the Rodale Institute. She's centered in Iowa, the Rodale's new office there. And I asked Christine, what's the best way for people to get a hold of her if some of our listeners want to learn more? Uh, do you like phone calls? Do you like email? And how would they use those? I, I like phone call and I like email. and. During these times where we're all 
um, you know, we're physically distant from one another, but hopefully staying socially connected, I would be, I would be happy to talk to folks. So my phone number is 319-449-1970. And that directs you to a message center, and you'll just need to put in the extension 324. Oh, okay. Okay. And then how about um, email? So my email address is christine.lang at rodaleinstitute.org. And that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E dot L-A-N-G at rodaleinstitute.org. Okay. And Rodale Institute is all one word, I suppose? All one word, yes. All one word. Okay. Let me just give you that phone call number one more time, 319-449-1970 and extension 324. Correct. Okay. Well, we have a a person who's great on the Internet, so he will put that on our uh, Facebook page so people can connect with you. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that you think we've missed that we need to talk about or anything that you just want to throw in there? Um. I guess I would like to leave people with, first of all, to any of our farmers listening, thank you so much for the essential work that you're doing right now, especially. all the, You do it all the time, but I think your work is being, being even more recognized now. So thank you to our farmers who are continuing to feed us and nourish us during these challenging times. And I would just encourage anyone who's an eater, which should be everyone, that um, – please take this time to sign up for a CSA for the first time or go to the farmer's market if that's still allowed in your state or, or push for the farmer's markets to be open um, or shop, shop an online farm store and really support the farmers in your community because now more than ever we're really seeing the need for our for bolstering our regional food systems, and I'm just I'm so grateful for the farmers in my neighborhood. I'm I'm new to my part of Iowa, so I I looked up some some of the local farmers, and I made sure to sign up for a CSA because more than ever we we really need to support all of you who are growing our food. So I would just like to say. Well, I can't think of a better way to end that interview with Christine Lang of Rodale Institute in Iowa. And I want to mention again that they will have a webinar next Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. That's Tuesday, April 14th, 1 to 2 p.m. Central Time. And you can register for it. It's free. You register at the website, which is rodaleinstitute.org. Wonderful. Well, that's a great way to end uh, to end up an interview. And thank you so much, Christine. You've just been perfect.
Like you. 